0: Introducing Minor Wisdom, Quintet! Uh,
1: One, two, do. Minor
0: Wisdom!
1: My sincerest apologies for this dropping a little late, a little later than usual. Bobby, I'm so, so sorry Uh, to be doing this to you. Ruining your weekend, ruining your Halloween. Happy Halloween to everyone. As this drops, it is Sunday, Halloween day. I am recording this actually Halloween morning because my mother-in-law decided to come in and surprise us at our house, so I ended up not having a whole lot of free time to record. Plus, I get a little... Like My office is right outside where she sleeps and stuff, so I can't come in here and talk on the microphone with my full energy because she'll hear me and I just get a little nervous and I don't know because she's judgmental sometimes. So anyway, uh, I apologize for dropping this a little late. I am apologizing with a great gift, and that is uh, my guest this week is Charles Falcone. So uh, I've had this one in the can for a little bit now. And Charles clearly did some research on what the podcast used to entail, used to include. And I'm appreciating him bringing back the joke of the week. Maybe I should bring that back. But he gives a little joke right at the beginning. And, you know, so it just kicks off with that. And then it goes into the usual banter. Uh, I do have to say that one of us had a bad connection during... Our interview I think it was me because you know when I am at home recording via the interwebs Al Gore's interweb if you will I usually try to pause a lot of stuff that's in my house it's amazing how much crap is running on Wi-Fi in your home Uh, maybe it's just us but like you know if you think about it down to the Apple watches and me being a lighting guy yes of course a lot of my light bulbs are Wi-Fi so that i can change the colors on them and do all kinds of fun stuff and get into bed and realize oh crap this you know my my light is on upstairs or something and i can turn it off from my phone because it's 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 just the the way to go nowadays but uh to do that so anyway i usually pause all that stuff because it sucks up the wi-fi signal and in order to make it stronger uh, i've got to do that so i'm not 100 percent sure i did that for this interview which is why you're gonna hear some like weird edits and I tried to do my very very best but I am not like a a master editor if you will. Uh, I try to do my very best and every week there's one or two there are one or two things that I need to edit but this one had a little bit more so if it sounds a little choppy uh like 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 screwed DJ screwed choppy uh, then maybe it was, but uh, I we didn't lose any content, so don't worry about that. Uh, I posted some pictures on the Technical Theater Educator's Facebook page of our Greased Lightning, <clears throat> and 99.999% of the credit goes to Stephen Bogard, who is our carpenter, our shop foreman at the John Cooper School. Yeah, that's right. We have a carpenter slash shop foreman at the John Cooper School, and he is brilliant. He's not just a brilliant carpenter, but he's also a brilliant actor. He was just in the Rock of Ages musical at Tuts, but he's pretty dang talented. But anyway, he crafted this beautiful Grease Lightning uh, from a super beat-up, junky golf cart, and he turned it into this beautiful thing. So if you're interested in seeing that and you're on the Technical Theater Educators uh, Facebook page. I keep wanting to say website. Then, then head on over there and you'll see it. <clears throat> and it's kind of cool. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I must have just had milk because I am allergic to milk. Not. I'm not lactose intolerant. I'm allergic to milk, and so now I'm. I, I guess I just had something. I don't know. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to talk about was uh, TTSF, Texas Thespians State Festival. I am no longer doing anything. For that, nothing. So the schedule kind of got shifted around to what we were discussing back in the summer. It changed a little bit. So Matt Peters no longer needs me to help with the opening or closing ceremony uh, vo- uh, vocals, the voices, the DJing, if you will. Uh, so the the schedule changed. No nope, no big deal, no problem. But that just means they got to you know the the they got to they got to cut some people loose. They got to cut some bait. So I have been. I have been cut from that job so I literally have absolutely now I have absolutely nothing to do I didn't sign up to do any workshops because I was uh, assuming that I would be kind of busy in the mornings and nights of a couple days and so like I was gonna maybe go take a nap in my room but anyway I'm not teaching anything I'm just there I'm I mean I'm sure I'm gonna judge something but I'm just there Uh, I've got no kids I've got nothing. So I don't even really, I'm not even really on the state festival board. I'm on the uh, educator conference board. So uh, anyway, I'll be there. I'll be walking around. I'm going to want to talk to people. I'm going to want to interview people. I'm going to have all my gear with me so that I can talk to you. And if I come up to you and creepishly say, hey, you want to come record in my room? Like it's not me trying to do anything weird or creepy. Like I literally want to just go record a podcast episode in my room. So I might pull some people. If they're available, because I I just want to get content. Like last uh, two years ago, whenever the last time we had TXCTA, I interviewed like 12 different people. So it covered three months of content, which was amazing. It's so great for me. It's especially great for my wife, who does get a little annoyed when I'm like, Sweetheart, I can't put the kids to bed because I'm going to record a podcast. And she's like, Don't you just have three fans? I'm like, Yes, sweetheart, but they get angry if I don't record. So uh, Bobby, Billy, Julio, you know, I sacrifice a lot for you. Uh, so anyway, I'll be there and I'll be around. Please stop me. I'd love to talk. That's what I love to do. Clearly, uh, prayers up for Annie Dragoo. I saw her post, uh, about some of her medical issues and, uh, it is just kind of, you know, something that, that you see, and uh, you know, I, I, in a weird way, I appreciate her keeping us in the loop um, about how she's doing, uh, but also just really kind of just uh, gut-wrenching stuff sometimes to read what she's what she's saying. She's very eloquent too, which kind of adds to uh, some of the sort of the the the. I don't, the dr- dramatic element. I don't mean it to be, I don't mean it's dramatic and drama, but I just, you know, if, if it could be a book, it would make a great book. It's just a very well written stuff. So, uh, but that's not the point. But Annie, we're thinking about you and uh, I hope you uh, reach out to those people that can help you. And, uh, you know, if we can do anything for you, then I know there are lots of people supporting you. Uh, so, uh, we love you as a as a as a theater mentor, as a teacher educator. Uh, so just you're you're in at least my thoughts. I'm sure you're in a lot of people's thoughts. Uh, those of you that are um, struggling and stuff, or having any medical issues, or even mental health issues with teaching, you see a lot of that right now. Uh, my thoughts are with you as well. So I, I know it's tough times. It's it's hopefully getting easier. You know whether you feel. Um, no matter what side of the political spectrum you're on, I think things are going to get easier regardless of if you get vaccinated or not. People are starting to get more vaccinated. I got my booster shot uh, yesterday. And, you know, speaking of that, the woman who knew exactly what she was doing, I was a Moderna person. I got my Moderna shots. Those are my first two shots. And this woman, as she's getting ready to stick the needle in my arm, she goes, you know, this is Pfizer, right? And boom, just pops it into my arm. And I was like, because I wasn't really comfortable mixing, but uh, I'm now mixed. (laughs) Here I am filled with Moderna and Pfizer fluid. Disgusting. Anyway, uh, but uh, my kids are signed up to get vaccinated. Because, well, um, why not have 11 fingers and toes? And I jokingly said that to my youngest daughter. Uh, so it's probably going to be a struggle to get her to uh, let the uh, nurse put that needle in her arm now. Um, or maybe maybe they'll do the tush on the kids. That would be great because then she won't see it. Uh, but anyway, it would have been cool to... Never mind. Anyway, uh, uh, different podcast. Hope everybody has a great week. Hope everybody has a safe and happy Halloween. Remember, next... Sunday. Next Sunday we fall back. So next Sunday, well in Texas we do. Uh if I do have fans in states that don't fall back, I think it may I feel like it's two now. Arizona and maybe Colorado. But anyway, uh don't fall back. But uh uh next week, next Sunday, hello, we fall back. Hope you guys leave a good review. I'm sorry for the long intro. Bobby, I'll try to make it shorter next time. I know the only thing you listen to is me. Cause of my sultry, sexy voice. Have a good week, everybody. Enjoy this interview with Senor Mister Charles Falcone. Enjoy the joke too, right at the beginning, right at the top.
0: Did this, you know, did my real research, Blake. You know, I need to tell you the joke.
1: Yeah. It might not be
0: funny, but I gotta <laughs> tell you the joke. Okay, you ready? Yeah, go. What has twenty-seven actors, three locations, two writers, and one plot? What? 671 Hallmark movies. <laughs> I'm from San Antonio originally. So many times I hear people from Houston and I realize how huge Houston is. And San Antonio is a potent compared to Houston. Um, and it was a small town and still really is a small town, I think. I was born on the on the south side of San Antonio and um, went to, you know, went to public schooling, um, some Catholic schools. We, we were pretty poor. Um, interesting fact, one of the junior highs that I went to, and I say one because we moved around quite a bit. When you're poor, you move a lot, I guess we did, um, was called PAGE. And PAGE Middle School was actually the first institution that my college, San Antonio College, was at way back in the 1920s and 30s. I read, I'm, I'm looking at doing some archival work for our college because we don't have an, a museum or an archive. And one of the things I learned that my middle school was one of the first institutions that housed our college way back. Well, I wasn't there, of course, I was in middle school. <laughs> um But I but I went to middle school there and I began this, um I guess this little push towards performing. At that time, I had uh, a family of five and my two sisters older than me were really drivers and go-getters. And so I began um with the Optimist Club doing speeches. And I won the city speech contest when I was, I guess, maybe 10 or 11 years old. <clears throat> now, Blake, we were very poor. So this was like a big deal. Now, I had to go to Laredo to compete for the state competition. And I didn't know how I was going to get there. But my mom, I, and I, even we were talking about it, I was like, how did, I, how did you go there? She's like, I don't know. We just got to Laredo. And of course, I was totally nervous and scared. I'd never been out of San Antonio. And I bombed, of course. But just that experience kind of started getting me into this idea that, you know, I love performing. I love performing in front of people. Um, I was set to go to a school called Brackenridge High School in the inner city, but uh, my parents got divorced and we moved and we moved to a nicer part of town. And so I got to go to a school called Jefferson High School. And back then, Jefferson was um, a, a huge, huge, I mean, a huge school. It's one of the oldest high schools in the country, built and opened in 1930. They even have done a couple of movies about Jefferson High School. And as a Ninth grader now, I started uh, working, of course, in loving theater and speech that like I thought I did was uh, some teachers. One was called um, uh, Lanny Naglin and Lanny Naglin's a big name and did a lot, a lot of work with theater and speech. It was a wonderful man. Passed away way too soon. Ira Evers was my speech teacher. So I began working with them, doing some UIL, but I mean, it was a very big organization back then, but I, I did a little bit of UIL. We're talking now, I'll age myself, we're talking the very late 60s and early 70s. But I fell in love with it. Um, And I was driven by my family. I have a big family. My sisters ahead of me were were drivers. And so I decided, you know, what am I going to do with my life? Where am I going to go? And I started applying to schools. My sisters both got into Wellesley and left. And so... You know, I thought, you know, I got to do something impressive, and so I applied to schools, and I applied to Oberlin College, and and I didn't think I was going to get in, Blake, but, you know, they they gave me a letter and said I got in, so I went to Oberlin, and it was a real, real, real eye-opener, because I had never really left San Antonio before, and here I am going to Oberlin, this quality conservatory on the likes of Juilliard, and I didn't know what I was doing there. I came from, I was in San Antonio where most people are Mexican, where you know, we're Hispanic. And I get to Oberlin and all of a sudden I'm minoritized. Like, wait, what? And I was minoritized. And I had never been minoritized before. I'm a minority, but I had never been minoritized. And so I found there were groups like the Mexican-American group. Like, what the hell is that? Now, aren't we all Mexican-American group? And so... Uh, I just went into a show, I didn't know what to do. This was a whole new world. I was really afraid because you know, these are world-class performer students that, you know, were the top of their class. Like, well, what was I doing here? And it was scary, but I kind of like took one year at a time and I was able to graduate. I had a degree in, in communications and in, in drama back then. And I guess now, even although it's kind of shifting, speech and drama are always connected. So it was speech and theater, speech and drama. So we got that double degree um, from Oberlin. And then my dad, who was living in Michigan um, and I would go visit quite a bit, suggested that I look at some schools in, in Michigan. And so I applied and Eastern Michigan offered me what was then called a graduate assistantship. And this assistantship was a two-year program where I would get my MA degree. They would pay for everything, give me a stipend, a place to live. It was the ghetto, but, you know, guys, I was used to living in the ghetto. Hello. So it, it was it was literally like the courts when I grew up. And I walked in as a graduate. What the hell? I, I, I can't believe I'm living in the courts again. The neighbors were a little nicer, but it was the ghetto. Um, so it's very comfortable there. Of course, I lived two years in the ghetto again. and. I did my graduate work there um, and got my degree, uh, began working, acting, doing speech. Uh, Eastern Michigan was, and still is a huge, huge um, speech conglomerate. They have won national uh, awards and national, the national um, um Competition uh, in years past. So it was a really strong program, and I worked with really amazing people there. Dr. Annette Martin was one of my teachers, Bob McAlay, um, Virginia Coastie, and Virginia was really big in the children's theater when I, that's my first connection to that. Um, and you know, like so many times when I'm listening to your, your pod, almost everybody that I listen to always talks about their teachers and the homage to teachers and educators. You know, I thought back and was like, gosh, it's so true because so many of us are touched by these people who have taught us amazing things that we can go on and then teach our kids. Um, And I tell my students all the time, I'm just telling you stuff that I I remembered. Someone told me that was inspirational, that worked. And that's really the crux of it. So I had really, really good teachers at Eastern Michigan, Um, graduated from Eastern Michigan in 82, came back to San Antonio just for a minute. And then I went to LA to become famous, as so many of us do, um, and it was a great journey. Um, did you see? Did you ever see my major motion picture?
1: Uh, I uh, must have missed it, uh, yeah, but so yeah, did I. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, it didn't happen. <laughs> and one of those where there was, yeah, and I laughed because I think Larry was, or, or it was Mike that said we went to LA, and then two years later, yeah, it took me about six months, and I realized this is
1: what good. Yeah.
0: Really much to organize. I, I really like I like to have a paycheck. I like to know what's happening. I you know I just can't go to auditions, cattle calls. I mean, it just wasn't for me. I came back to San Antonio, um, began working in the food service industry because you know an M.A. in theater prepares you for the food service industry very nicely. And I will tell you that it worked hand in hand. I was really 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 good. Made a lot of money. Um, then began working in management a little bit in food service. And then I started teaching at San Antonio College. Now we're talking about 1984. Um, They offered me a position just to teach some night courses. And, you know, it's a gig. Um, So I took the gig and I kept teaching there all the while I was working in a different closet club, you know, different dining places. Um, And then I left and continued to teach, but started my own company. I opened a restaurant called The Nash. It was a wonderful place on in downtown San Antonio, burgers and just salads. And it was a wonderful place, got great write ups, um, always hopping. We had a great clientele. And so, you know, I was sad. And I was working there and, and teaching classes still and loving that. Um, and then, in about 1990, 1991, the college offered me a full time position. And this was in the time before interviews. Um, where you had the good old boy system firmly in place and the chairperson would call up and say, we'd like to offer you a job. And then you'd come in and they'd give you the job. And so I felt very, very fortunate. But one of the contingencies, he said, was that it was real hard for me to run a business and be on a tenure track full-time you know, professor position. It just was really hard. So he didn't say I had to make a choice, but he said I had to make a choice. So I thought about it real long and hard. And then five minutes later, I called him and said, yes, I'll do it. Um, those of you that know the food industry know why I did that. It's crazy. And while I loved my restaurant and we made some money and we were very successful, I couldn't see myself doing that for the next 30 years, um, running myself wild and ragged and, and doing something that I love, but it wasn't really what I love. And so I took the full time job at San Antonio College. I sold my restaurant and began the journey of, of working at Zach, at doing shows. And fast forward now, Blake, to 37 years later.
1: And it's still doing it. Still doing it. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I, I, I think your, your food thing, because uh, I've had this before. I don't know if I'm making this up or not. I feel like I've heard it before, but it wasn't, it wasn't the love. It was a love. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, so yeah, that's yeah. Correct. So I love
0: and I love to eat and I love food. Um, and it was it was a great mesh. Plus, I'm a I'm a director at heart. Yeah. And owning and running a business is is what a director does per se.
1: Right. So I love doing that. Producers, yeah. I mean, that's exactly sure. what it is. Sure. Did you did you like? Because uh, I want to. I told you at the beginning of this, we might dive off into things non-theatrical so i i like to cook i'm no good uh I, but i like the process of cooking um and even baking to an extent but baking is so much more refined cooking you know you just a little bit of here, a little bit of garlic you know <laughs> whereas baking is exactly this much you know uh do you still uh, dabble do you still uh absolutely kind of, yeah. every,
0: sing, every single day pretty much yeah. i cook yeah. Um, I didn't go out a whole lot so I cook quite a bit at home in my restaurant I was I, I was smart enough to know a few things because I, I worked with Plaza Club for five years and the Plaza Club was this sort of fine fine dining um, establishment on top of the Frostbank Tower and it was very nice and very exclusive and so I learned a lot and one thing that I learned was you need to have people in positions that know what they're doing um, and that's whether it's it's backstage as a stage manager or running a business and so before i I embarked on this i I got a few people behind me um i i borrowed the chef from the plaza club to come Mm -hmm. with me um and then the borrowing became long-term sort of i just stole him (laughs) so that that was the smartest thing that i did i didn't even realize i was i I was i really didn't realize what i was doing at the time but taking that that chef with me was the smartest thing that i ever did yeah because Mm -hmm. really Uh, Starting started a restaurant. It's all about the food. I mean, it's all about the food. Everything else falls into place if if you're smart and you have a good management style and you have a a model. But if you don't have any food, (laughs) it'll die. You know, you you can also run a restaurant horribly with good food and make money. So we had really, really good food. And then I had connections because I had done a lot of catering. And so I had a lot of high-end connections with people who just drive and just wanted yeah. caterers. And back in the early 90s, Blake, before the onset of, you know, everybody caters in every restaurant, there were no caterers right. or very yeah. few caterers. And San Antonio's uh, Rosemary's Catering was one of the a few. Um, so I started catering. And uh, I mean, we, we hit it hard. And it was it was great, but there's a lot, a lot of work. Yeah. And I wouldn't much rather be st- Working late at night in the theater, uh, than you know, in a restaurant or in, in somewhere catered to function.
1: Had you always <laughs> uh, did you always have an interest in like the restaurant culinary world, or was that something just because it it became mm-hmm. a convenient job for you? You learned so much that yeah. you that you gained an interest. Growing
0: up, it was mostly because I was. I'm sorry, growing up, it was mostly because I it was a, it was an easy job to get, and I, yeah. I was a good waiter because I was an actor, and so then that <laughs> translated after I came back from my student in LA uh, to what can I do now? Cause I really need money yeah. and is my sister, Sally Ann said, you know, I have a friend and he's the food and beverage manager at the Hyatt. I bet he could use you
1: Yeah. and sure enough, yeah. I went over there
0: and I mean, the next day I was working <laughs> um, and then sort of freelancing and, and making, you know, a little bit of money. I mean, enough, you know, for a young guy in his twenties to get by.
1: Yeah. That's cool. Okay. I'm a little envious. Yeah. I've always said I want to open up a food truck, but uh, my wife is always like, that's cute, sweetheart. Um, but <laughs> you, you have know. a smart wife, Blake. <laughs> right. I know. <laughs> I, I married up for sure. Uh, so what did, what did your family think when you uh, took your six-month hiatus to L.A.? Um, well, my
0: mom just said, you know, son, when you're ready, remember we love you and we're always <laughs> here. we always open. you'll always have a bed. Yeah. My dad, my dad was funny. He was sort of hands off. He, my dad expected I was going to be a salesperson. And certainly I was going to work as a rock broker because that's what he did. He right. was a stockbroker for Maryland. And that's what I was going to do. And while I told him I would never, ever do that I mean, his life. And I, I told him your world and your life, I mean, it scares me. And it's like hell to me. I would never do your yep. job that. I hate it. It hurt him, but he went to everything that I ever did. My dad built his house with his favorite character, Don Quixote de la Mancha. I mean, statues and pictures and paintings and just everything from Don Quixote. So he was a big fan. Um, And so that that really helped just because I knew my dad loved what I did and, and always very supportive. And so I appreciate that for sure. And that helped me make the decisions that I needed to make for me I wasn't so much driven by what I thought my parents or my family would think. It was more about me being happy. Right. And my mom would always refrain and say, "You know, unless you're happy, why are you doing it?" And I you know, that that was her life. If you were not happy, why the hell are you doing it? Yeah. And so if I'm not happy, I'm not. I'm not going to
1: do it. Right.
0: And right. it made me happy, you know. And SAC has made me very happy. We've done a lot there in my, yeah. in my thirty-six years.
1: Is is there is there stuff uh, are there productions that you would still like to do that you're hesitant to do? Uh, or are you are you able to just lay out scripts and choose whatever you want or you know like in the, the high school hesit- sp- hesitancy how? Uh, like, you know, in the high school and middle school world, you kind of have to be careful with administrators and, and the community and such. Um, and, and, and to some directors' credits in True. high school, they still do what they want to do. Uh, they kind of take that risk and, and ask for forgiveness later. Is there, are there any kind of limitations like that at SAC, or do you uh, kind of produce what you want to produce for that season?
0: There are no limitations other than the ones that uh, directors and uh, us impose upon ourselves. Right. Okay. Those are limitations. Just to always do literature that's um, compelling, literature that is varied, literature that inspires, literature that is different. Yeah. We have a uh, great administration, and our administration is changing. You know, daily it just changes, but just historically. Uh, We've had a very, very open administration. And, and you know, Blake, my life, historically, I've been very, very, very blessed. And I have a a cloud over me that's just a shining cloud. I've been so lucky because we've tried it and have done some things that are cutting edge. And, you know, we've not had really any issues with with anything um, Mm -hmm. that purports to kind of what we can and can't do. Mike Doggett talked about looking for normal in the show that he did when he was I think it's Spring Grabs, um, and he brought that and is now doing, uh, running that, producing it, and it's set to open October 28th. And um, that script by Jane Anderson is just pretty cutting edge. I mean, it deals with quite a bit. Um, it's very graphic. Um, we invited all of the high schools in the area to the show, and uh, we got a good response. Many people said how much they appreciated the script. So we're doing my the, the Mike Doggett is directing the show Looking for Normal by Jane Anderson, and it's a it's, it's a very cutting kind edge of script dealing with gender identity and issues um, that I think for high school may be a little out there, yeah. but you know I, I honored his choice. We invited high schools, we had a good response. Um, they're coming to see the show, so I'm really really glad about yeah. about that. Yeah. Um, Many years ago, we started an ASL program at San Antonio College, and I was fortunate to be one of the first to to begin the program. Um, ASL used to be in conjunction with the drama program at SAC. And we had this idea of, like, I mean, I know it's fantastical, but actually interpreting shows and having people come in and interpret. So I'm really, really honored that we interpret two of our shows. So on two nights, we'll have interpreters come from our Amazing ASL program, which is it's one of the best in the country, training uh, interpreters, and they literally interpret our shows. And this idea, I know, you, I heard you talking about um, uh, inclusive theater, and I've done a couple of shows using using deaf actors, um, and they've been nothing short of, of amazing. Children of Lesser God, I did ninety seven, I believe. Another script called Sweet Nothing in My Ear did in 04 I believe it was an amazing show. Uh David's mother, while it's not a, a deaf show per se, it still deals with those issues. And I did that I think in, in 06. Um, then and I'm listening to you and then you know we're about the handicap shows and mm-hmm. I kind of laughed a little bit Blake because I will tell you as a director working with deaf people if we ever came into that arena and thought of using that word or that idea. Yeah. You know, be quashed. Um, Most people, at least in the deaf world, do not consider their life or what they are as being handicapped in any way. And I know several of my deaf friends who actually think we're handicapped because we can hear, and it's It's that severe. severe. And so I could have laughed at that. I said, No, no, wait, hold on. It's not about that at all. It's 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 just about understanding that we're all people. um some of us can do stuff and some of us
1: can't do stuff yeah we're all people yeah yeah the that that whole experience for me you know it's uh i i think today would be a different experience because of you know certain it it wasn't necessarily it wasn't derogatory the the you know it was you know 15 20 years ago uh and i'm you know i'm not um I, I don't mean I, yeah. Uh, my point is is you know so that language has changed, and even you know my sister's a, a a social worker. She she works a lot with which she's a much stronger person than myself because she works a lot with uh, the students and parents and communities that deal with school shootings and uh, trauma at schools and such. And so, unfortunately, she works a lot. But uh, that even when she started, you know, you used to say that's a trigger, you know, that's the word that you would use. Well, when a school shooter or a school shooting happens, the word trigger is not a word that students want to hear. That reminds them of a gun, you know, so uh, trauma reminder is the new thing, you know, and so, which makes total sense. But uh, it's the same with um, doing inclusive shows. You don't say the handicap, you know, the handicap actors anymore. Whereas 15, 20 years ago, you know, here here the hear the handicapped cast members, and here the you know able bodied. You don't say that, and that's just uh, exactly, yeah. Exactly. So right. so I appreciate you kind of pointing that out. But um, uh, I I love inclusive theater. So uh, good for you. And and I also took ASL in college. So uh, so did I. Yeah. Uh, that but <laughs> the man, the in, interpreters, ASL interpreters. I mean, those people are. I challenge anybody to just try interpreting a sentence, (laughs) let alone. I
0: I challenge people to go watch a show and then not get mesmerized by these wonderful people speaking their language. It's amazing. And when you have an interpreter who's on on their mark, he or she, is amazing. I just can't take my eyes off of them. Luckily, by the time we have interpreters, I've already directed the show so I can just watch the interpreters and marvel at their work.
1: Well, and they're great for for actors. They're great for actors to watch because the point, you know, and as you know this, because you took ASL, you have to be very animated. Your facial uh, uh, reactions and structures have to be very animated, and that's part of the language. It's part of uh, letting someone kind of understand that because your your the way your face shifts might change the meaning of the 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 hand signal, if you will. So. Absolutely. Uh, yeah.
0: In '94, we added the acting one component to the basic ASL degree. Mm. So now, if you're taking an ASL class and you intend to be an ASL major, you have to take acting.
1: Wow, that's good. You
0: have to. Smart. Yeah, it's part of the core, and I think it's really amazing. Now, what's happened? And this is kind of how God works, people. Is that now, from '17 or '18, when uh, we started, sort of things started happening in the world and 19 came, then COVID came. We found that most of our students, uh, the drama and acting students went away because this zoom thing wasn't working, but our ASL students were strong. And so we were able to keep some of those courses going because there were so many ASL Mm -hmm. and acting, you know, Blake, I also listened to you and you, you and I, Mike were, Mike Doggett, were talking about some of the differences between teaching acting, um, online on a Zoom versus live uh, in one-on-one face-to-face. Yeah. Face. Yeah. I was driving the other day and I was listening and I just kind of reflected on my experience. Um, you know, I was that person that who popped this Zoom thing. You cannot teach acting yeah. like that also public speaking and i I taught speech for so many years about three years ago i just finally stopped because i'm getting old and i don't want to teach so much so i stopped teaching speech but i made so many arguments that how can you teach public speaking and call it public speaking on zoom it makes no sense and then how can you manufacture the audiences like gather all your friends and then call that a, a, a random audience it makes no sense but you know, when they told us to do it and our paycheck was tied to it, we <laughs> started teaching online. And so I would not teach the drama courses. We did not even offer drama online. Yeah. We went yeah. away March of 20, spring break, and then you know what happened. We yeah. never came back. Yeah. So uh, we were told you teach it and you have to. And, you know, here's your Zoom training. And, you know, I think we had 20 minutes of Zoom training. And then another hour session. So I went back and I began teaching online, and it was very scary. The first, the first, the end of that semester, finishing it up, I didn't know really what to do. Uh, I didn't know Zoom real well. So what I did was I got into theory, and I spent my classes lecturing on theory and objectives and desires and suspension of disbelief and just really taking them on a journey through just all the theoretical stuff that. A Lot of actors are not aware of yeah. Yeah. beats. What's the difference between pronunciation and articulation? What is enunciation? How does tempo and rhythm relate? Are they the same? What is jest? How is that like gesticulation? What is gesticulation? And so I, and I had a great time. Like for an hour and I was like, I love this.
1: Yeah. But yeah. there wasn't
0: a lot of performing going on. <laughs> and so I know like, last time I, I gotta change this. That, that's not gonna work. Yeah. So I learned yeah. those breakout room things and how to do that. Looking for more scripts, and so the last year was not so bad, it wasn't, wasn't the best, but you know, because I could fall back on the theory when I needed to, and the kids knew they had to be there, we kind of just trudged through it. But it was, it was a trudge, I mean, it was not easy. Now that we've come back, I can see some of the repercussions of the COVID pandemic. Yeah, when we yeah. came back from 2000, from 911. I saw a different student after that, and I see a different student now. I see a student who is not willing to take the chances that they used to take. I see a student that's much, much, much more ready to accept your excuses to let them slide. Where before, if you didn't challenge them, they might even challenge you because they wanted to learn now. It's like, just, you're fine, just stay home. I know you might have been exposed. We'll get those assignments done. Where before I was very dogmatic, I find like I'm not so dogmatic anymore. Yeah. I feel like there are more important things. Or in the world, there are more important things than learning a monologue or or memorizing a duet. Where before Blake, it was like, no, no, no. This is the life. You must learn this monologue at all costs. I'm sorry mm-hmm. that you have a date, but you must learn this. And now it's pretty much enjoy your date. Learn this when you can. Yeah. And have a good time. Okay? Yeah. Most importantly, have a good time. Yeah. And that's how we've changed I think
1: do you think that will ever go back no yeah not at all okay no no
0: we we maybe maybe we'll cycle back in, in 20 or 30 years I won't be around yeah but it'll all be a, all you know it'll all be new the, what they call the new normal which of course makes no sense right um, but it, it's just it's just evolving and changing and so I think most of us uh, that Understand that change is, what is all. this is all about, I think will be much happier. Yeah. And I just, I know that everything has changed. This is all temporary. And even my career at SACTIN, I've been 37 years. Um, I promise you, Blake, that train station that I'm stopping at is coming up. <laughs> I can see it on the horizon. There's flags flowing. It is coming down Dude. the pipe. <laughs> wow.
1: <Well. laughs> I can't I can't confirm that one but not you know just like I can't confirm that you have a movie but uh, but do do you do you think that uh, in 5 10 15 years we're going to feel the effects of this even more or do you think it's going to get easier
0: well i don't know that the two are, are comparable i think we will feel the effects of it for, for years and years to come i think it will get easier for us to deal because we've all been through this horrific sort of one time once in a lifetime it's made us stronger so i think yeah i think i think we we will we will be stronger and we will yeah. get through this
1: yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I realized after asking that question, I didn't give you two options. I gave you kind of the same option, just worded differently. <laughs> yeah. But hey, I'm no professional. Um, Nor am I. Yeah. Do you do you write, Charles?
0: I I, I, I do write, but I don't I don't publish anything. Okay. but I, I write a lot.
1: It's, Is that for you, like a therapeutic kind of?
0: It's it's because this this idea of stories, Blake, and we're all full of stories. And yeah. when I was first starting in UIL, one of the things that that I heard a lot was this idea that we're nothing but storytellers. And I picked up on that early in the 90s and, and I've sort of gone, gone with it. Um, this idea that all of our lives are stories, that you're a story, I'm a story. And if you listen now, everything's a story. So probably in 2006, 2007, I started compiling stories, stories that my students would write and stories that I write into this sort of manuscript. And I keep it to this day. Um, because I think that it's important just to reflect not on everything, just on stories and how stories relate and everything sort of reduced down to a story. I also believe that stories are so personal and your telling of a story is nothing more than your need to communicate that that impulse, that that experience or that memory. And it has nothing to do with an audience. Um, It's all about you. And so audience members, my students say, so when you hear stories, people, stop thinking that the story is for you. It's not, it's for the storyteller and all of the cathartic effects of that story are shared, not only because you're listening, but also by the person, the storyteller telling the story. So when your mom tells that story for the 84th time, smile and listen, because that story Mm -hmm. has to be told.
1: Yeah, I I agree with that. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, I've heard a lot of people talk about, or not a lot of people, but I've heard a handful of people uh, that are in the professional world that do show after show after show of the same show, uh, that it's just that. It's it's them telling a story. And now, for some of those people, it turns into, I want to make sure this new group of people know my story. So, you know, when you mention that it's not about the audience, it isn't, but it's also... Uh, it it's about that person being able to feel, as though that story is now spreading even further and and getting into more into more heads. Yeah. And
0: the ability for the the audience to hear that story, which we all do, yeah. And then we just reflect on our own story, and our own experience. Yeah. Even while you're telling that story, I'm reminded of my story. And so while I smile and listen to you tell your story. I'm thinking about, to my, drift. Story, about yeah. my grandmother, <laughs> and with all due respect, I'm still listening. But I'm I'm listening, and that's the that's the beauty of the story. Yeah. That's that's what they're intended to do is to remind us, to help us, to guide us, to provide a history for us. Um, that's the beauty of, of, of a story. Yeah, and stories. Uh,
1: so I've got, I want to go back to the, some of the show talk a little bit. Uh, is there a show that you because you you've you've adjudicated for me? I'm now out of the world of competing in one-act play uh because i'm at a private school but um when i was in public school for 11 years you you were an adjudicator for me a couple times uh has there ever been a show that to do this? what's that
0: you still wanted to interview me
1: yeah okay. i did yeah, yeah. <laughs> i don't hold it you know like I, <laughs> I don't hold you, I yeah <laughs> it's it's funny how that works i, I think only once have i ever thought an adjudicator com- got it completely wrong like where i just thought there's no way that they even read the play and i i'm not going to name who that was obviously but um but every other time it's usually like yeah yeah you know what that's i mean that's just another set of eyes it's 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 sure. i love that stuff but um has there ever been a show that you've seen that was uh that immediately got your attention or maybe you read it prior to uh a contest that you had not heard of that got your attention, um, that you went on to produce or direct at uh, SAC.
0: Oh gosh, yeah, um, a few, but one that the first that comes to mind is is, is literature. It wasn't produced, but my friend Karen King in Panola, yeah, Panola, yeah. Um, we were talking one night, and she says, "You know, I love Steve Martin." You know, yeah. Charles, he's a playwright. I'm like, yeah, I've read some of his the piece wonderfully. He goes, well, she's why I love the underpants. It's like, okay, uh, I, I like, I love, I'm going to read it again, Karen. So yeah. I went home and I I don't know, I just went out and I'm like, I pulled the underpants out. And I loved it. Yeah. I, I just loved it. I'm like, you know what? I called her. I said, Karen, I'm going to do it. <laughs> and so I directed the underpants by Steve Martin. I put it on a rake stage. It was all skewed I mean, it was a wonderful production. So that's one that comes to mind right away. Um, that I just, I just fell in love with. I've seen a lot of classics, Blake, that have turned me on to wanting to do some of the classic right. plays. I mean, American classic plays like Aramaha Tin Roof, um, Tennessee Williams, The Glass Menagerie, which yeah. I did, and I did both of those as well, just because you see people do them and you wanna do them. Death of a Salesman is another. I've not done that play, but I saw a production of it at State a couple of years ago, and, and it's on my on my list. I call it the bucket list, but I can't call that a bucket list because my friends keep saying, you know, you got to get on your bucket list, dude, because the bucket list you need is going to real long and your ears are like, sure. Like, okay, I'm going to get on it. Um, but I don't know if that will actually happen. Yeah. Kind of La Mancha is on my bucket list as well as an homage to Dad, And I don't know if that's going to happen either, yeah. but I'm okay.
1: Do you, do you have uh, an idea of what you want to do when you retire?
0: Um a real oh. good idea for what I want to do when I retire. Open a
1: restaurant. Sure. No, absolutely <laughs> not.
0: Now you sound like my husband. He's like, Well, open a restaurant. I'm like, no, we won't do any of that. You can do clinics and you can like Larry Balfus like Bear Balfour said, you know, I go around, I do all this adjudicating. i like, that doesn't sound fun to me. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that I'll probably still do my clinics because I love doing the clinic yeah. work. I'll probably still do a little bit of adjudicating. I want to do a little bit of traveling. I don't want to be in America too much all yeah. the time. I want to leave and, and just explore a little bit. We love to travel, so I'm going to do that for sure. Yeah. Um, and and hopefully go out in style. and yeah. Enjoy. Hopefully enjoy the the, the fruits of, of a long career and a, and a lot of hard work. Yeah. yeah. And I'm ready for it. I think as well.
1: Have you been somewhere that uh uh? I don't know how to frame this question. I'm trying I'm trying to ask, have you been somewhere that nobody knows about that you found to be cool? But that's a horrible way to ask a question. <laughs> but, no, because yeah. everybody
0: knows because we post and we say, we're, here, we're going here. <laughs> we go to Amsterdam quite a okay, bit. We okay. go to Europe a lot. We go to Prague quite a bit. Okay. And our team is to actually live in Amsterdam. One summer, Colin and I went to Amsterdam. We stayed for a month. Um, rented a flat and just really loved it. Um, outside of Amsterdam is a small city called Harlem, and we like that a lot as yeah. well. It's not quite as crazy and touristy. Oh, we have some friends who live there. A friend who owns a restaurant there, so there's a little connection, and we just love, love, love being in Europe and and just the different, just. The different take on life. Yeah. Um, no, I don't want to leave America forever, but right. it'd be nice right. just to leave for a while, and then a lot of people can can relate to just you know, let's go for a few months and then come back and then leave for a few months. Yeah. Um, and so that, that those are our plans.
1: That's kind of cool. Yeah. I I, I uh, in my days of traveling, I got to experience a lot lots of parts of Canada, and uh, you know, sure. at some point. My wife and I, you know, same same kind of feeling, Charles. As, as when we're done, there are some spots in Canada that we would love to have an extended stay in, you know. Yeah. But uh,
0: yeah, but you're a young, you're a, you're a young pup. You got a little bit, a little, little yeah, long ways to go. Yeah, I've got believe. some
1: time, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> you don't see you don't see the gray. This camera doesn't pick up the gray nearly as well. Uh, yeah. But uh, you I know. haven't
0: done anything to my cameras. I just heard. Uh, today on TV that I could actually do something and make myself look younger. What am I missing? Why haven't I put any filters on this?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I didn't want to say anything, but you you mentioned 1982 (laughs) or 1984. I believe nineteen. I, th- I think it was nineteen eighty-two. That's the uh-huh. year I was born in nineteen eighty-two. So I, you know, yeah. I. So thank you, I, I, yeah, yeah. I
0: was walking across the stage getting my degree. There you when go. You were, you were being <laughs> <born>. <laughs> Thanks for making me. Yeah, well,
1: it, <laughs> you know, it's it's funny. I I don't remember when uh, I got to the point as an educator that I thought, wow, it's crazy that these kids haven't experienced X, Y, and Z. Uh, but I know for a fact. Uh, you know, I don't remember when that started, but I know for a fact it still blows my mind. That you know, none of my seniors were around for nine eleven. Like that's my moment that I know. Wow, these, these kids weren't even uh, uh, their moms weren't even pregnant with them when nine eleven happened, and uh, so I think that was the first event of my life that I thought, wow, the, it's crazy that these kids are they don't yeah. they know nothing about it. It's kind of like I mean, I guess for us, even though Vietnam was significantly uh, it was you know a decade prior. You know, Vietnam is kind of my 9/11 in that I didn't experience it. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't around. But uh, and and for
0: those who were born around
1: 9/11, Vietnam was 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 something that I remember like 9 yeah. one because
0: I was a little boy um, and growing up around that time. Yeah, I, t- I would tell my students. I, we always laugh and say, you know, I had students who see me in the store and say, "Oh my God, you are my teacher!" And then i have students say, "Oh my God." You talked my grandmother. Like, oh, thank you so much. And then I'm at a fair once and a student comes up and she goes, Charles, oh my God, we hug. She says, you know, I, I loved you. And, you know, I, I talked, you know, and I, her name is Jimmy Bowes. And I love Jimmy Bose She says, I taught so for so many years, 25, and I'm retiring. <laughs> I look at him like... Okay. So now I have students that are looking at me and saying, I'm retiring yeah. like and I'm still working the same day.
1: <laughs> well that's what great. is
0: wrong with this picture? Yeah.
1: That's pretty funny. Uh yeah. so um I wanna I appreciate you, you know, spending some time with me. I wanna get you out on uh advice. You you know, part of the reason I asked you if you if you wrote, if you write, um is because you you're very the way your thoughts kind of just come out uh, uh, is is a very eloquent uh, style and uh, also unique in that your perspective is unique it's different and uh, and and that's okay and that's you know the part of the story, converse, the theme of of this chat that we're having but I uh, I want some advice from Charles. (laughs) I want, I I, I don't know what the question necessarily is, but, you know, normally I ask, uh, for, for higher education people, but I'm tired of asking this. Normally I ask, what are we doing, uh, in high school that you would like to see either more of or change, um, you know, when the kid enters into the uh, community college or university setting or whatever, but we've gotten quite a few of those answers. Um, most of the time, it's you know, I want them to be more organized, uh, <laughs> but uh, be able to keep a planner or something. But I, I, I feel like you just have I could probably sit and just talk to you for two, three hours and just get advice on uh, how should I be and not necessarily me, but I'm gonna take it. But how should I be better? How should I be a better theater educator, a better director, a better human? Um, just a better person in this world. I, I For some reason, you give off that. Yeah. I, I can help you.
0: <laughs> and, 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 I, and I honor that comment, and I thank you for that, because oftentimes when I get people whose letter starts or email starts with, I need your help, I remember that universal just, okay, it's come to you, so you have to help. Yeah. And that's, that's, I think, what you're getting, because I really do feel that, and that's probably why I'm, I've been doing this for so long. You know people would say how and why are you successful doing uil what is it about you that um, is successful and how can you share that and i'll tell you like the honest to god truth i think what's happened for me is that i i think i'm able to just cut through the through all the stuff and get to the lowest common denominator i think that people already know the answer and when they ask the question they want to know if you're truthful and when you answer them truthfully they're compelled to ask another question to see if you're going to be truthful. And when you're truthful then they start thinking, "Oh my god, maybe this person will actually tell me something that's truthful and not a not a bunch of hot air cuz that's what we get so much is this this double jargon, this this hot air." And so my 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 suggestion was, would be just cut the cut the BS and just be truthful. Be truthful to yourself. Stop lying. Just be who you are. And I think the world will love you for that. It really do.
1: Minor wisdom!